0: Hey! thanks for joining me good people welcome to best with Brittany, where we hear from black educators on the state of education in this space we'll hear from the vets the pros and those just entering and planning to enter into the field at the core this space will delve into why we need more black teachers and how we can be intentional about seeing more of us in the school environment we need us and you do too
1: It's been a minute, lots of life changes happening over here. Um, started the spring semester in my doctoral program, definitely had a baby. So, we had um, a son a few weeks ago. His name is Seku Fela. We are loving and enjoying him, but all of those things taking place um, definitely caused or was necessary to take a pause, but we are back coming off the cusp of Black History Month, entering into Women's History Month. We are going to be continuing the conversation around the need for black teachers in education, thinking about the historical perspectives, contemporary issues, this mass exodus that we are experiencing in the teaching workforce right now that is impacting all teachers. But we wanna look and speak to the experiences of black teachers Moving forward, um, just kind of like continuing to pick up that baton and keeping the ball rolling because we were having some really, really great conversations. And so in today's episode, I will be speaking with a former educator, Black male, also affectionately known as my husband, Arsante Malone, as he shares his experiences being in the education field, um, working in local schools, um, working internationally as a principal of a school in Zanzibar, and then even his experiences as a black male teacher teaching in um, a Muslim country, Saudi Arabia. So I really hope you all enjoy today's conversation. It gets really deep. It is going to be necessary to have a part two, but we will pick that up um, soon. So thank you all for continuing to rock with me and I hope you enjoy.
2: As you all have heard, my name is Arsante Malone. Uh, I'd like to think that uh, always in in, in one capacity or another served as an educator, but um, ironically enough, never really had any professional aspirations or, you know, plans to venture into education. Uh, I grew up, you know, similar to our host in Washington, D.C., uh, graduated from Duke Ellington School of the Arts, majoring in technical theater, uh, which somehow landed me in Durham, North Carolina, where I received my bachelor's in mass communications. Again, you know, like a non-educational field. And uh, believe it or not, I used to spend my summers as a teenager, uh, as a quote unquote, like literary specialist, you know, teaching, you know, my peers about literary prose. And, you know, I was, I was an artist at the time, a rapper at the time. And so I would kind of, use my skill set to teach my peers as a teenager, you know, how to kind of spruce up their own, um, writing and public speaking, uh, how I wound up in, in education. I, around my junior year, I, um, actually, uh, reverted to Islam and developed the want and desire to travel and study. And so uh, a very close friend of mine at the time, uh suggested that I venture into education because it was like somewhat of a, a short shot way to land in the kingdom. Uh by kingdom I mean Saudi Arabia. And so that way I could kind of like kill two birds with one stone. One, um allowing me to study, but you know also using education as a platform or metaphorical key into the uh doors of the kingdom. So uh, once I landed in Saudi, um, I started out teaching English to non-English majors at uh, the University of Ha'il, and I would come home during the summers to work at a Friendship Heights uh, Friendship Heights Charter School in D.C., uh, and, you know, to be honest with you, I think just that experience alone kind of heightened my interest in education. And so from there I wound up uh enrolling in one of their grad school programs, uh receiving my master's in applied linguistics, um, which allowed me to uh move into I guess different realms of, of academia. So from teaching non-English majors to working at another university, uh working specifically with English majors from different parts of the world, spending my time, you know, lecturing, researching, uh specifically focusing on uh, language attitudes. And that's actually what I, you know, wound up doing my dissertation and was uh, evaluating and analyzing, you know, students' uh, attitudes towards a variety of Englishes. Uh, one, you know, being African American vernacular English. And so after, you know, my time in Saudi Arabia, I was there for maybe five years. Uh, I moved to Zanzibar, where I worked as a principal for an international school for some time. After my, you know, small stint in Zanzibar, which is, you know, a very small island off the coast of Tanzania in Southeast Africa, uh, moved back to the States where I landed uh, another job working at a charter school in Durham, North uh, North Carolina. And so back in the States, uh, I spent maybe three years working in charter schools as a, an English teacher and a grade level chair before I... I think I really came full circle, you know, came to the realization that uh, education wasn't necessarily the field that that you know where my passions lied, but I think education provided me with access to a generation of of, of students, a generation of youth, uh, primarily black and brown youth, and allowed me to you know spend my time really putting things on their radar that I thought would help uh, prepare them. For you know, their lives as as young black and brown individuals, and so in a nutshell, I spent wow well, um, I spent a good decade in education um from working as a, a lecturer to working as a great uh, working as a principal to a great level chair um now currently I uh, co-teach a, an ed psychology course at Duke University, uh, sometimes I receive um, contracted. Opportunities to, you know, speaking engagements. I serve as an instructional coach and uh, educational consultant for um, a nonprofit, and primarily my work revolves around uh, community organizing.
0: Wow. So that is quite the journey, um, thinking about like your non traditional kind of like coming to education and then your journey while you were there. Um, So I'm definitely going to be asking you about like your experiences um, working in K through 12 schools in the States. But first I liked if you would share kind of what your experience was like teaching in a foreign country. So I'm think I'm talking primarily about teaching in Zanzibar, right? Because there is a, I would say 100% of the students at, at that school were black students, right? Natives of Zanzibar. Yes. Um. And so kind of thinking about what that experience was like and, and what are some of the similarities and differences that you saw in terms of school structures and systems and even like um, interpersonal interactions between that experience at school in Zanzibar and your experience in schools that were stateside.
2: So if I were to juxtapose just the overall uh, perception of education locally within the states and internationally. Uh, I would say education means a lot more um, to individuals in the international realm. It is evident that education is the the, the main conduit, the main vehicle that will move people out of poverty. And so what I found was that um, students were, for lack of a better term, and no pun intended, were a bit more studious. Uh, They were a lot more... Focused and engaged and and invested in their education because uh, either from their societal exposure or their in-house culture or whatever their their parents kind of impressed upon them, um, it was clear that education was something to be taken seriously. Uh, the role of the teacher was a position that was respected. Um, however, you know the the very unfortunate thing is that. Uh, I actually encountered a lot more um institutionalized internalized racism in an international realm um and, and and by that i mean uh the perception of eurocentric uh methodologies or eurocentric values were prioritized and and, and prefer, uh, preferred. Over more you know afrocentric or culturally affirming educational experiences, and um, I would kind of attribute that just to the history of the countries in which I um, worked. you know, uh, even though America's history is, is rooted in colonialism, uh, because of, of, of the centuries that have, that have you know elapsed since that was our reality, I think sometimes we forget that that is at the core of our foundation. Where in these other countries, um, it is in their recent history, the role that colonialism played in the overall uh, structuring of how education functions and even you know the reality of, of the society itself.
0: Okay, so I got a little pushback for you in terms of what you just said in terms of like, in regards to the differences that you said that you noticed. And so I would ask you, um, when you mentioned that you the students there seem to be like more studious or more kind of like academically oriented What do you think about the impact of the system our systems here in America or our teacher population? You know teacher demographics that impact how students of color show up in the classroom, right? Like in terms of like um, sense of sense of belongings the affirmations or lack thereof that they receive in the school settings that. Turn off or account for the lack of student, um, st- student motivation or student studiousness of students um, in America schools.
2: Well, for one, education uh, or true education meaning you know a, a, a assisting or guiding an individual to tap into their innate. Genius uh, was never in my opinion um, for us and and what I mean by that is uh, when we look at again back to you know the the, the colonialistic history of uh, the, the colonial history of of, of America, um, this is where we find the origins of standardized education. Um, but even within that, we find that the overall quality. And the quality of the education and the resources of, of, you know, educators um, was like, there's a stark difference uh, within the black and brown communities and the white communities. And, you know, I believe that was intentional. Um, And so I think, like, when we look at, you know, nowadays why students may, you know, be, quote unquote, you know, unmotivated or demotivated, I think there's a level of intentionality uh, behind that because... Education was never really intended for us uh, because, you know, I think it's, it's, it's relatively counterintuitive to the society that we have to have the masses develop this level of critical consciousness and this level of critical analysis wherein they identify the, the shortcomings and the flaws within the systems that run our country. And so if you have the masses of the people that are being educated in a way that is culturally affirming, it will directly push them to fight against the things that they experience, uh, fight against the things that they witness, and to seek to change the systems that, you know, they live in. And so even, you know, to, to one of the things that you that you mentioned, um, as far as like what the teacher body looks like, you know, right now, um, I think the numbers are still hovering between like 80 and 85%. You know, the vast majority of the teaching body is made up of white women. And so when we take that into consideration, and we look at, you know, what our experience and by our, I mean, you know, black people, colored people, uh, indigenous people's experiences are within education. um, I think it's kind of like, it's not a surprise that, We don't feel valued or seen or affirmed because one, you know, back to, you know, one of the things I I recently mentioned, you know, having a high quality educational experience that speaks to you was never something that was solely intended for our population.
0: Very true. Um, Definitely. So I think about, you know, At the bottom, like, if we're just talking about, like, who represents the teaching force, when we think about that, and the number is sitting around, like, 73, 74 percent, when we think about that, we have to think about, like, that on an individual basis, like, how are these white women showing up in classrooms with student populations that look drastically different from them or have drastically different backgrounds or experiences in them, but then we also have to take that top-down approach, like, what are the systemic functions that are in place that kind of keep these inequities going and we can think about like school funding um think about more like at the policy level which i know is some of the work that you do in your current role with nonprofit. um but since you are my we're only three episodes in but since you are my first male guest i do want to talk to you about like what um were some of your experiences uh, regarding being a black male educator at the school at the last school that you um served and the impacts of that like right like did you were there other male educators of color there um what were the teacher demographics and then like what was the impact that you felt feel like you had on the students um that maybe you were the first black man black teacher that they've ever had right like what was that like
2: so um i didn't experience being the first black male educator until teaching in the states and so like working in Saudi Arabia I might have been the first quote-unquote black American male but not the first black male and even you know working in Africa of course you know I wasn't the first black male that you know my teachers had but um in the states yeah, I think like, it's like less than 2% of us. Mm -hmm. And so what, what, what happened was, and so like, not only was I, a lot of my students first black male teacher, but I was like for, to a certain degree, the first black male role model, father figure, mentor, uh, uh, the first like black man that, that, served um in a certain level of consistency mm-hmm. in their lives and so um that within itself created a lot of pressure um outside of just showing up as an educator um in addition to that uh one of the things that and I think this is also you know relatively historical to a certain degree but there were a lot of unwritten expectations uh, for myself and other, you know, black men that I might've, you know, come across in, 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 in the schools in which I've worked. And that is one serving as the disciplinarian, uh, serving as, you know, the one that has to issue the, the, the punishments or has to have the tough conversations or that the, you know, teachers may send their students to, um, um, for their, like, cool downs and and to have those like restorative conversations and so what 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 it did is one it then directly created rifts between those students and you know other teachers because instead of working on their relationship with the teacher there was like a cop-out i'm gonna just you know send them to mr malone and he'll get them straight and i mean but that's not me as as an individual like i don't i don't see myself as a disciplinarian and then even uh, in addition to that um I didn't necessarily show up uh, in those spaces like a lot of the other black men showed up, um, and 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 by that what I mean is uh, there's this saying that 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 we have uh, within our community, and I'm I'm pretty sure it exists uh, like just in the academic world. Uh, black men are the white men of black people, and um, what I mean by that is you know if we go back to uh, uh, right after you know we were quote unquote freed and allowed to, you know, exercise a certain level of autonomy within this society Um, because a lot of our existence in this country uh, was spent being told what to do, how to do it, how to show up, what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be manly, masculine, what does it mean to be heterosexual and masculine. Um, A lot of those ideologies came from our oppressors. And so what we did was, and not all of us, but, you know, I hate to use, you know, generalized statements, but what we did was we recreated and perpetuated the same mannerisms and characteristics and ways of showing up that white men showed us. And so what I encountered in a lot of these spaces from other black men was really white men, right? So like black men that, Talk down to black women or black men that you know talk down to black and brown children, even when it comes to you know uh, uh how to express certain emotions you know we 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 I would see them um repeating the same toxic jargon that that we grow up hearing like stop crying like a little girl or stop being a little sissy why are you acting so soft and like a lot of these exchanges actually are more damaging mm-hmm. um, because of of the expectation that we are to show up in somewhat of a, a quote unquote like savior type role. Um, in addition to that, it 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 really it really uh, made it difficult to just establish and build genuine relationships with a lot of the students because they expect you to be like the other black men that they've seen and you know mm. media doesn't help movies don't help our society doesn't help and so like we see that there's this this stereotypical black man this stereotypical heterosexual black man and and, and a lot of those um a lot of those uh uh I guess modalities I don't necessarily subscribe to and so in me showing up, uh, I may have been seen as as a rarity to a certain degree because I would cry with my students. I would allow young males to cry, you know, with me. I wouldn't, you know, demean them or talk down to them. I would, you know, I was comfortable expressing a variety of emotions. I was comfortable being physically, verbally affectionate, and creating, you know certain spaces for them to develop as, as people. And, um, I think, you know, that dynamic within itself, uh, is, is, is what kind of made me an impactful educator. You know, I had the scores, I had the data, you know, I was, I was quote unquote getting the numbers, you know, as we say, but, um, and doing all of that, I realized that my work wasn't, education my work was 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 people my work was relationship building my work was uh mentoring and 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 youth development and to a certain degree counseling and 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 therapeutic not necessarily education and um i think it was within that realization and then even also um a lot of the walls that I ran into in my advocacy of changes that needed to take place within the schools that I showed up that really just pushed me away from, um, being in the classroom as a whole, because I recognized that that wasn't where I was, you know, destined to show up in this, in this fight.
0: Wow. So, I mean, I like I keep saying wow, but like you are really hitting some like, um, some of the points that we continue to see in the trends that we see that Black educators experience, right? And so, one of the first things that you mentioned was this kind of like default disciplinarian. And so, that's something that I think Black both Black men and Black women um, educators experience, right? Reg- depending on who's in the building, yeah. Get right? your people. Yeah, it's like who, regardless of you know, if male or female, like we are asking you to take this child and do something, mm-hmm. right? Which kind of is like creates this ability for the teachers who do the kind of like handoff to freeze them from the accountability of doing the work of developing relationships and like doing the work of you know building that trust for Mm -hmm. students of color and so i think that's a very important point um one of the other things that you mentioned is that like thinking about or hitting walls right like trying to create change within your school environment and being met with walls so whether that came from like You know the very top or whether that came from like leadership in the building right and teachers um black teachers having those experiences and wanting to create change and being effective but being pushed out because they recognize they recognize that their voices aren't being heard and so um i think that's something that we need to you know talk much more deeply about, and I feel like I have to (laughs) have you come back on because I don't want our episodes to go super, super long. And I still want to ask you about two more questions, but definitely thinking about the dynamics of that black female in comparison with black male, right? Like, and then you mentioned how the black male can show up as, you know, I wouldn't say as the white male, but with like some of those, um, white supremacy thoughts or, um, like kind of, what do you call it um,
2: privileges I mean some so so you know one of the things about uh, uh, white oppression or, or, or white supremacy is that within it you have this cis hetero uh, privilege, and you have the male privilege, uh, specifically hetero male privilege, and black men are no different um, We are allowed certain luxuries in how we communicate. And, and how we express ourselves, and how we take control, and how we garner, you know, people, people's attention, um, and how sometimes our our I'll call them quote unquote cries for help may be taken more seriously, and I think that is because of 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 the patriarchal uh, 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 patriarchal elements that exist within our society as opposed to women you know when a woman speaks up for herself or advocates there's so many different stereotypes that are associated with that being too emotional and being you know overreacting and it's like we don't want to take that seriously
0: right and i'm i'm really happy that you lifted that up because even though we have you know neither um neither statistic for black females or black male educators um are significantly, you know, they're not high, right? So we have like the two percent or less than two percent for black males, and then um, for black females, I think we are sitting at like twelve percent or something. It's not significantly higher. And then, like, if we're looking at NC- in in North Carolina specifically, I think we're at like five to seven percent, hmm. right? So I think it's important to name and to highlight those things, those specific numbers, um, because even though we there may be more um, black women educators. Our numbers are still low, yeah. right? Like so, with that, I don't, I don't think that we should be um, misled to think that we are out here in groves in terms right. of Black female educators. And right. I also think it's important to highlight that, even though that number is just a little bit higher, Black males um, climb the ladder much faster than their Black female counterparts in terms of like getting positions of leadership. So I think it's important to name that too, right? Um, But thinking about like doing this work together and the importance of the represent increase in representation of both black men and women there's there's a Lot of work to be done in that conversation about sometimes how the dynamic happens between black black men men and women and the field needs to be had but I do think that that's an episode for 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 itself like that's a whole conversation. That's a whole other conversation Um, so just to kind of like wrap us up because you've shared so many valuable things and I do hope that our listeners will kind of like take the time to really reflect on some of the things that you've shared, comment, reach out. You know, if you if anyone's had like similar experience and they wanna come on and share, I'd be happy to have you and host you. Um, But I do wanna close out with this. um, I want your feedback on what you believe it means to, practice education or think about education as freedom right so this is something that we've heard from like bell hooks um i think paulo Freire has mentioned it so when we think about like education as the practice of freedom or how we get free what does that mean for um black educators and then ultimately our black students
2: so this is 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 education for liberation um which is 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 necessary that you see in other languages, uh, education is, is even even the definition of it is something that is internal, and you are bringing out the thing that is inside of the individual, right? Um, as as opposed to like these banking uh, 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 banking models of education, where right. like students are these empty, you know, repositories that mm-hmm. you got to put all the things that's in, that's right? That's mm-hmm. But but the thing is, is that if education is is meant for liberation it can't be done without developing a certain level of critical consciousness and and teaching you know students the reality of the society in which they live and giving them the tools to change their world to fit their needs Mm -hmm. and what we do is you know unfortunately some of us we teach conformity we don't teach students to buck the system we don't teach students to understand the root cause like we don't conduct any type of like root cause analyses uh uh when it comes to like how do we even get here today Mm -hmm. why do we have an opportunity gap, not an achievement gap. Why do we have an opportunity gap? Right. Why do we have a resource gap? Why do we see the numbers that we see on standardized tests? Why do we see the numbers that we see in suspension rates? Why do we see the numbers that we see in, in, in push out rates? All of these things are, you know, indicators and, and symptoms of an underlying issue that we're afraid to really speak to. And that is that at the root of our society, and education is no different, is this white oppressionist culture, is this white supremacy culture that permeates all of the other, you know, cogs and gears that make up our society. Mm-hmm. And so, in order for education to, to really be intentional, we have to lift up the you know metaphorical veil and show our students how society really functions, but not to, you know, point fingers and say, yeah, this person's racist, that person's right. racist. No, I mean, like, but just showing them the facts mm-hmm. and allowing them to wrestle with the information to draw their own conclusions and have them brainstorm solutions to the problems that they discover. And I think in that approach to education uh, will inevitably move towards, you know, a, 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 a closer, a closer manifestation of freedom because now we have a realistic approach of how to identify the problem and how to you know lift up solutions to it
0: mm. i feel like i want to close this out on the with the fela kunti uh teacher don't what was the song T- teacher don't teach me no lies or something a song that i was listening to recently i think is the perfect close out but definitely just kind of like that critical thinking right like Not having students kind of just be these like empty receptacles, but having them actually build the skills so that they start to recognize their own oppression. Right, they start to recognize the systems themselves because you can't like save someone who doesn't realize they're on fire. Hmm. And so I think that that's you know when that's what you were getting at, and that's what we have to do. But we, our educational system does not function like that. You Hmm. might have pockets here and there of teachers who are doing that work, and so we need to like. You know, teachers that are doing that continue to do so, but I think on a large scale, then like our educational system needs to be overhauled, where that is like um, mandatory. Yeah. But then you also have to think about what our teaching population looks like, and if they're even willing or on board or believe that it's that should be the case, right?
2: Oh, no, no, it's counterintuitive because exactly. you're, you're asking people to be a part of their their own
0: Dem-
2: metaphorical demise and destruction, right? Right, you know, giving
0: up their power yeah. and shifting um, to a more just society. So thank you, Arsante, for coming through, sharing and dropping gems and kind of, you know, getting us to think more deeply about um, education, share your experience of kind of going beyond the classroom, right, to, for, to doing the work that you are doing now. Um, and then bringing up those important points that we are going to come back around to and have a part whole two? other convers- conversation. Yes, so I think it'll be a part two where we have that conversation, but I'm also thinking to bring in, you know, a black female educator so we can have to kind of have this, like, conversation, sure. right? So thank you for tuning in, listeners. I mean, keep rocking, keep rolling with us, um, you know, and um, yeah hope you learned something and take something away from today's episode. I hope y'all have enjoyed today's conversation. Please share this episode and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's continue to be in community with one another and let the world know we've been here.